Well, hello to all you wonderful people of the Jericho Ridge Church in Langley, and please accept my warm greetings on behalf of the National MB family. Uh, we are praying for you, and we are encouraged by the reports of how your church is thriving in these days. It's a joy and an honor for me to be able to join you on this Sunday to come from my living room in Ontario into your living spaces in BC. And it's a joy for me to walk through Daniel chapter four with you uh, because each chapter of Daniel is a gem and chapter four is certainly no exception. So let's invite the work of the Holy Spirit into our hearts as we dive right into this unique story. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to know you, uh, to be in family with you and with all your children. Uh, Father, I thank you for this time that we have to just quiet our hearts and to let your Holy Spirit uh, work in us. So we declare our hearts open to your word and to the work of your spirit. Uh, transform us, Lord, more and more into the image of our Son, uh, Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we ask. Amen. Well, just before we dive into chapter four, I want to invite anyone who is listening and especially the children to grab some drawing materials, maybe some paper and some pencils. And as we go along, draw an aspect of this story. Our chapter contains many elements that would make for exciting visuals. It's an account of a powerful king who has a wild dream. Then he goes insane, but thankfully recovers his sanity. We have angels and animals, so there is lots to draw there. And perhaps you can find a way to share your artwork with one another and with me. I'd really appreciate it. So let's walk through this chapter, draw some implications for us today as we listen to God's Holy Spirit speak to us through this pretty wild story. So as we come to Daniel chapter 4, we're now quite familiar with our four exiled friends who were taken by the Babylonian King Nebuchadnezzar in 605 BC during the first of the three sieges on Jerusalem. They were exiled to Babylon where they were given um, Babylonian names, Babylonian clothes, they were trained in the uh, Babylonian body of knowledge and trained to serve in the king's court. But in spite of the fact that they now live in a hostile environment, they resolve to be faithful to their God. And it is noteworthy to me that they remain very politely faithful. We see them politely declining the food that the king offers and politely requesting their own diet. We see Daniel politely offering to resolve the dilemma of the king's first dream and thus setting the lives of all the advisors and establishing himself as head of the wise men. And we see the three friends politely refusing to bow to the idol of the government system of Babylon and politely allowing themselves to be thrown into the fiery furnace. So I think there is something very Canadian about how these four friends express their faith in a culture that does not know the living God, much like our own culture. And I think we can take some cues and encouragement from them. So by now, as we come to chapter four, our friends are well established as people who are faithful to God, who are wise, and who have the ear of the king of the great Babylonian empire. Now, chapter four opens with these words. I, King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, 
May you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. Literally, it is with me and for me. So the first thing to notice in this opening address is that this chapter is written from the first person point of view of King Nebuchadnezzar. This is the longest text, the longest speech in the Bible that comes from the mouth of a pagan king. And this is a long speech, the entire chapter 4 of Daniel is the king's personal testimony. Now testimony always contains three elements. It can be very short, like one sentence long. It can be very lengthy, like this chapter or an entire book, but it always contains three elements. The three elements are who I was before something significant happened. The second element is what God did. There was a revelation, maybe there was a new insight, a new understanding, or an intervention of God in my life. And the third part is who I am now as a result of my encounter with God. So the second thing to notice is that the name of God that Nebuchadnezzar uses in this opening address is the Most High God. In Hebrew, this is El Elyon. This is a very rarely used name for God, relatively speaking, used only 41 times in the entire Bible out of the thousands of times that God's name is invoked. Half of those 41 are in the Psalms, 21 times in the Psalms. And so that leaves 20. So out of the remaining 20, 10 of them are in the book of Daniel, and six of those are in our chapter. So El Elyon uh, figures prominently in our chapter and in the book of Daniel. And God Most High is a worship name for God. It celebrates God's strength, God's sovereignty, and God's supremacy. In Genesis 14, where this name for God is first revealed, we meet God as El Elyon, and here Abraham calls him, uh, or actually it's Melchizedek who first calls him that, and then Abraham picks up that description himself. Um, God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. Heaven and earth is everything. There's nothing outside of heaven and earth, and God possesses, owns, controls, rules, all of it. And King Nebuchadnezzar indeed sees God as the Most High in our chapter in verse 3 because this is what he says. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. And then in chapter 4, uh, verse 4, the testimony proper begins. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. There's no apprehension, there's no fear, he's at ease until God steps in and makes himself known. In verse 5, I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So he has this scary dream. He calls in all the wise men 
tells them the dream, asks for the meaning, but gets no answers. Finally, in verse 8, Daniel comes in and the king tells him his disturbing dream, which is a dream about a great tree, a tree that keeps growing until it fills the earth, a tree that is home and food for all kinds of creatures. And then an angelic watcher, very interesting term, unusual term, angelic watcher, comes from heaven and calls for the street to be cut down to a stump bound with a band of bronze and he calls him the stump becomes a he to become one of the animals for seven years and the angelic watcher says there is a reason for all of this which is in daniel 14 verse 17. the reason for all this to that is about to happen is so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest people the lowliest people are the ones who are set over governments boy we can maybe identify with that in some of the countries that we deal with <laughs> well the interpretation of the dream is not good the tree is the king who has grown great and strong, but is about to be cut down to a stump and become like an animal for seven years. But Daniel offers some hope uh, twofold. First of all, it says in verse 26 that your kingdom will be restored to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. So here we have another connection to the most high name and position of God that this king does not at this point acknowledge. And secondly, there is hope in verse 27 to avoid this dream from coming true by turning from all kinds of wrongdoings, including the king's lack of care for the poor. So this dream is a warning. And perhaps you remember receiving a warning from God too. Maybe it was a wild dream, but perhaps something a little more subtle, a word from a friend, a series of events, or maybe just a feeling that the direction you're taking is not good and you need to turn around. Do you remember when that warning came to you, that sense that uh, you need to pay attention, you need to turn things around? Do you remember how you responded? And perhaps you're in the middle of this now. You have received the warning and you're deciding how to respond. Well, God is good and merciful and kind, and he offers us opportunities to step off a path that is ultimately destructive to us and to the people around us. Around us. And just as he warned this king, he continues to warn ordinary people today. And we do have a choice to either heed or to ignore the warning. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar is not wise. He does not heed the warning and time passes and nothing happens as it often is uh, because consequences come later. So the scary dream is pushed out of mind until a year later, as we read in verses 29 to 30, the king is reflecting on the wonder of his palace the hanging gardens of Babylon were among the ancient wonders of the world. And he pats himself on the back saying in verse 30, is not this the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? 
and suddenly he's struck with madness that makes him be like an animal, eating grass and living outside, not able to function in human society for seven years. Now, a lot must have happened during those seven years when the king was no longer in the public eye. Imagine if our prime minister disappeared from public view for even just seven months or, or seven days, uh, the speculations and the rumors that would be going around. Someone else had to take over the operation of the empire. Foreign dignitaries would have been greeted by not the king and so on. And all these happenings are left to our imagination um, as the testimony skips to the resolution of the madness. Now, verses 34 to 37 of Daniel 4, I think belong uh, among the most beautiful verses in the Bible for me. Uh, I have them memorized and I love the depth of truth that they contain. So let's read them together. And as we do, I invite you to pay attention to the references to sanity. Daniel 4.34, at the end of that time, seven years of madness, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes to heaven and my sanity returned to me. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. It's a powerful acknowledgement of God's kingship and his sovereignty. And all the people of the earth, in verse 35, are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth, and no one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, as my sanity was restored, everything else was restored with it. His position in the kingdom, the respect of his um, court and so on. Now, as we consider what sanity is, sanity is the ability to think and to behave rationally. And this great Babylonian king testifies that it is irrational to assume that your accomplishments, your position in life, your security, are an outcome of purely your effort. To live as if there was no conscious higher power, that is God, directing your life, helping, providing, is insane. It's sheer madness. In fact, to live as if God was not the Most High over all creation, including our lives, is not only insanity, but it also equates to a subhuman, uh, animalistic kind of an existence. You and I were created for an intimate and dependent relationship with God. And to live without finding God in this life is to miss the purpose for which you were made. As the Westminster Catechism states, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. In other words, your ultimate purpose is to reflect the glory, the essence of who God is, and to delight in your relationship with Him as much as He delights um, in you. Uh, this report of uh, a king's madness, by the way, is not only in the Bible. It is also found in the Babylonian Chronicles of the Kings. 
so this account um, is, is true, uh, biblically and uh, historically verified. Now, these days, uh, the, the news are filled with reports that confirm that we have very little control over the future. Bad things are happening all around us, all kinds of bad things, and most likely will continue to happen. The reality of just how very uncertain our future is has hit the whole world at once. Anxiety, stress, fear, and the negative health effects that go with them are on a rapid increase. But the Most High God is on the throne and he is faithful to his people. Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego, and Daniel experienced far worse than what we are experiencing today. They experienced the complete downfall of their country, and yet they were not lost. God was with them and protected and provided. And later in Daniel, we read these words. In Daniel 11, verse 32, it says that there will be all kinds of bad things that will be going on, but the people who know their God will display strength and take action. Because God is most high and because he's with you and he is for you, we need not fear. Indeed, we can thrive regardless of the circumstances. And insanity sets in when we forget that there is a God most high whose purposes cannot be thwarted. And we believe that we need to control and run uh, our own lives. So I'd like to share three invitations from this text with you. The first one is an invitation to sanity, to live a fully human life. And perhaps as you go for a walk later today, ask God to show you if there are aspects of your life where you live as if there was no God, which according to our chapter is madness. Be it your work, your family life, your health, your relationships, your finances, your plans for the future, and acknowledge and actively invite the reign of the Most High God into that aspect of your life. A second invitation is an invitation to a life that consistently moves toward God. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar did not arrive at his all-out faith, this fabulous statement about God of the Bible all at once. We see Nebuchadnezzar's journey to faith in chapters 2, 3, and 4 of Daniel. In chapter 2, after the uh, interpretation of the first dream, in verse 24, he says, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. So now it's your God, Daniel, is this kind of a God. In Daniel chapter 3, the fiery furnace story, Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 28, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants, even though they defied me. In verse 29, Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save this way. So it's a very radical approach that the king has here, but he's still talking about the God of someone else, someone else's God. Here in Daniel 4, verse 37, he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt 
and glorify this King of heaven, this most high God, because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. He's a good King. And those who walk in pride, he's able to humble as he has humbled me. So I encourage you to intentionally direct the course of your life toward God. If you don't yet know the Most High God, get to know Him. And if you have already given your life to Him, keep going. There's always more of God for you to have. A third invitation is an invitation to a life of testimony. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 2, the king said, It is a delight, it's a pleasure for me to tell how the Most High has dealt with me. And it could not be easy for a king to talk about his own humbling, about his seven-year-long madness. And if he can talk about his madness and how a right understanding of who God is delivered him, I'm sure you and I can too. Testimony is about who I was before and then what God did. Specifically, how did God make himself known to me? Just like this king, you and I, I hope, came to know that the Most High God lives and rules all of creation. And living on this side of the cross, we know that the Most High God is not a God who is far, but a God who became one of us. Jesus is El Elyon. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus came and said to the disciples, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. The hand of Christ cannot be held back, and no one can say to Jesus, What have you done? El Elyon is a God who is near and who proved his love for you by dying for you. He values you enough to have suffered in your place, who promises to never leave you or forsake you, and simply invites you to trust your life to him, to let go and to let him assume kingship over your life and to find rest in his care. And who am I now? If you have already given your life to Jesus, you know that who you are now is a different person. And the good news is that God continues to reveal himself to us by his daily care and his daily goodness to us. We have daily testimonies of God's work on our, in our lives and therefore are always being transformed, becoming more and more fully human. So the Most High God knows you, he loves you, he desires you, he watches over you. I invite you to make ever more space for him in your life, watch him do wonders, and then testify to the great things he has done.